You're listening to Season 8, Episode Number 10 of Strike the Match. In this episode, I discuss mission in the Book of Acts. So with that in mind, let's... Welcome to Strike the Match with teacher and missiologist Dr. J.P. Strike the Match is a podcast that addresses matters related to missions, innovation, and leadership. Now here's J.P. Listeners, welcome once again to another episode of Strike the Match. As always, thank you so very much for taking out time from your schedule to spend some time listening to me and this podcast episode. I'm really excited about uh, this episode, maybe a little bit more so than the uh, previous ones in uh, this season, because uh, the Book of Acts is uh, one of my favorite books in the Bible when it comes to talking about the mission of God. I am certain uh, that I am not alone in that uh, uh, that passion. Uh, many of you, uh, this is uh, one of your favorite books as well when we think about and discuss uh, this particular topic, and then we begin to think about what are the implications on our lives in our ministries uh, today. Uh, that yes, while the book is uh, an overview of the historical expansion of the church uh, across oh, roughly 30 years uh, in the first century. Uh, there's more to this book than just uh, historical matters as well. Uh, Luke had had an agenda, and uh, that in, uh, that agenda extended beyond just uh, keeping track of uh, a record. Uh, I'll get into that in just a second. Uh, we're continuing on. If you have been along uh, this journey with us, we're continuing on uh, in uh, this season looking at the mission of God. Now we are, let's see, how many episodes into the New Testament? We did the synoptics. We did uh, mission in John. Uh, this is mission in Acts. Uh, Lord willing, we will, um, uh, in our next episode, we will look at mission in the Pauline epistles, and then we will spend some time uh, thinking about mission in the general epistles. By the way, just to give you a heads up, not a great deal of information uh, has been uh, released, published on uh, God's mission in the general epistles. And so uh, for those of you that are looking for new areas of research and writing on this topic, uh, let me encourage you to consider uh, looking at matters related to uh, this topic and the general epistles. And then uh, we'll be wrapping up with a uh, mission in the book of Revelation. So uh, just a few more episodes left in uh, this season and uh, bringing all of this together. Uh, you all uh, have been with me on this journey. You know that uh, this uh, this is mainly uh, coming out of uh, one of my books that came out last year, uh, Theology of Mission, a uh, concise uh, biblical um, theology. So uh, for those of you that uh, maybe are just jumping in because you're fascinated with the topic of the book of Acts, uh, that's where this is coming from. And I would encourage you, if you haven't had a chance to check out that book, to, uh, to get a copy of Theology of Mission. So let's do this. Let's jump in. Let me uh, begin by kind of doing big overview and then uh, kind of breaking breaking some of these aspects down of the mission of God in the book of Acts. So, you know, the big theme that I've been running th running with 
throughout our our season is the issue of God's glory uh, through blessing the nations. Uh, yes, when it comes to talking about uh, the mission of God and and what do we see in the scriptures? Yes, we can we can say ultimately that yes, it's about God bringing glory to Himself, no doubt. Uh, however, that is not very helpful in thinking about how does that then practically occur uh, in in the world, in history, in the in this case, uh, in the Bible. And so what does it mean when we think about God's glory? And I would say that as we look through the Old Testament and the New Testament, as we have been doing, uh, we need to think about God's glory through uh, the blessings of the nations, or, or I should say it this way, the blessing of the nations. And that, and that is God receives glory, brings glory to himself uh, through blessing the nations. And that is, uh, as we have uh, discussed and thought about before, it begins with, with one being sent to the creation, being sent to uh, people. And the one who is sent, whether that is God himself, uh, whether that is uh, one who is a representative sent by God, uh, as we will uh, see uh, today, whether that is the church being sent uh, into the world— uh, the one who is sent in the Bible brings a message to the to the nations, to the creation, and the message is a message of of hope, but it's a message of hope through judgment. That hope will come, uh, that blessing will come, but it has to occur through through judgment, and and we see that with the the the, the sacrificial system. We see that in the notion of uh, repentance, dying to self, faith in the Savior. And when there is an embracing, an acceptance, uh, or as we would see back in, the, uh, back in Torah, that Abraham believed God, faithed God, if you will, and it was credit, credited to him as righteousness. When that occurs relationship on a different level, on a very intimate and per, very intimate and personal level occurs between the creator and the created. And with that relationship comes the face of God shining upon people. And when God's face shines upon people, blessing, blessing comes comes about. And so when we think about God's glory throughout the scriptures, uh, when it comes to what he is doing and what he has been doing, we see that his glory is, is, is strongly occurring through the blessing of the nations through a message of hope, but hope that comes through judgment and relationship. Now, kind of that being said, when we get into the book of Acts, the book of Acts is, is fascinating in that God's glory through relationship and blessing continues in this book with the historical account of the advancements of the gospel and the growth of the church. So in the book of Acts, I, I think that we see the blessing of the nations showing up in at least five general ways, in at least five general ways. Here they are. First of all, there's the blessing of the nations in the book of Acts through 
true Israel. Of course, I'm going to break all five of these down in this episode. So there's the blessing of the nations through true Israel. Number two, there is the blessing of the nations in the book of Acts through the sending of the Spirit. Number three, uh, there is the blessing of the nations by beginning with the Jews, beginning this message of hope through judgment with the Jews. Uh, Number four, the blessing of the nations by providing a light to the Gentiles. That's borrowing from, uh, if you remember, borrowing from the prophets when we were looking at mission and the prophets. And then number five, the blessing of the nations through a new multi-ethnic kingdom community. So those five things, those five things uh, I will unpack in, in this podcast. So when we think about Luke's purpose for writing Acts, yes, there is this historical aspect, but also Uh, we see that he had evangelistic, he had doctrinal, theological, uh, and political motives for writing as well. The book provides a continuity, and we can't miss this. The book provides a continuity between the mission of God in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Luke provides an account of the kingdom's expansion grounded on the foundation established in Torah, prophets, writings, and his gospel, which we have just come through in this season thus far. So the book begins with the expectation for the gospel to spread throughout Jerusalem, to the Jews first, throughout Jerusalem, and concludes with its advancement throughout the ends of the earth without hindrance. And so we see that beginning in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and concluding, spreading throughout the earth without hindrance, even when Paul is under house arrest in Acts chapter 28, verse 31, and then the book the book concludes. Now, one of the things that I, I don't have time to unpack in this podcast episode, but I, I do think that it's important to at least uh, tip my hat toward this issue, is um, there is a, a, a scholarly concept called proof from prophecy. And a lot of scholars debate uh, how much of this actually plays out in the book of Acts. In other words, um, what you see is the question being raised among scholars regarding the Lucan use or Luke's use of the proof from prophecy as a literary device to explain or justify his points in this book by by referencing Old Testament passages. So, So what does that mean? Scholars wrestle how much of Luke in the book of Acts is Luke going back into the Tanakh and finding uh, support, finding passages and texts there to therefore then apply in the first century to, to give evidence to what he's discussing. Now, I personally think that there is a great deal of Luke's involvement in going back into the Tanakh to show Uh, that what is taking place is not a surprise, is not plan B in God's plan. In fact, um, uh, Stephen uh, Wilson, several years ago in his book, he made this statement. He said, the purpose of these frequent Old Testament references, the purpose of these frequent Old Testament references, particularly in the book of Acts, uh, is undoubtedly to legitimize both the original Gentile mission and the subsequent Gentile churches. 
to show that this major turning point in the church's development was from the beginning part of the will of God. End quote. So, you know, God had God had planned this, that the gospel would be going to the Gentiles, that the blessings would not just be uh, for the Jewish community, but it would be for all nations, uh, that he had planned it, he had willed it from the beginning. And so uh, one of the things that I think is really important in looking at the mission of God, and a fascinating study in the book of Acts, is to look at how uh, Luke uses the Old Testament to support and explain what is happening in the first century as the gospel begins in Jerusalem and extends deep into Gentile territory. So when we look at this book and we think about the kingdom of God, the kingdom was to be restored, but not as the, really, as the disciples had expected based on what we see in chapter one. You know, Jesus, are you now going to reestablish the kingdom here? And he, you know, he tells them, he says, it's not for you to, to know the times of when all this is going to happen, but, um, but I have a, a plan, a purpose for you. In other words, you're going to be my witnesses after, after the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy occurs uh, and the Spirit comes upon you. Uh, the nations, the nations first had to receive the gospel before uh, the kingdom was to, to come in the way that they thought it was to come. God's people were to be sent with the good news of hope through judgment. Uh, their acts would bring about a people of God that the world had never seen. So when we're in chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 8, uh, it really serves as a rough outline of how the book is going to unfold. Uh, now, while the locations do indeed mark geographical boundaries, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, uh, this expansion from Jerusalem, so to speak, the, the point of what Luke is doing here is more related to the gospel crossing, don't miss this, crossing cultural gaps rather than crossing geographical boundaries, so to speak. It's one thing for the Jerusalem disciples to share the good news with people like themselves, but God's mission does not end within one's culture and ethnic group. The church would soon engage with the Samaritans, chapter 8, verse 5. The God-fearers, chapter 8, verse 27, and chapter 10, uh, and the Gentiles, starting in chapter 11, verse 20. Just as the prophets in the Old Testament foretold, God was about to gather his people from all nations. All right, so I said that when I look at the book of Acts, if you're going to kind of summarize this book and, and bring uh, an understanding of the mission of God to... Uh, to what is found there, five things, to me, five things stand out. The five things that I mentioned at the outset of this podcast. So number one, the blessing of the nations in the book of Acts comes through true Israel. So, you know, we're quick to read through chapter one with Messiah, uh, with Matthias uh, being selected to complete the circle of the twelve. However, you know, this was a fulfillment of, uh, of a prophecy that was made in Psalm uh, 109, verse 8, uh, with Judas's um, demise. Uh, the twelve, according to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 22, the twelve would be in the kingdom. They would sit on thrones. They would judge the tribes of Israel. And so there was a need, there was a need, especially for Luke to communicate that, that the, the true Israel 
was established, that the 11 uh, wasn't sufficient. There needed to be that 12th apostle. And so with Matthias's selection, the next significant event related to reaching the nations was about to occur. Again, it's easy for us to gloss over that, and uh, nothing else comes up again in the scriptures related to Matthias and, and his selection. But it was significant to say that what was about to unfold on God's timetable required uh, this notion to the readers, this notion to the, the early disciples uh, about who true Israel actually, actually is. So, blessing the nations through true Israel. As we move into the book of Acts beyond chapter 1, we also see the blessing of the nations, uh, number, two, uh, number two, if you will, the blessing of the nations by sending the Spirit. Now, we obviously think about this. Uh, it's quite evident, but um, uh, just some things to kind of keep in mind. Uh, the coming of the Spirit during Pentecost, there in chapter 2, it actually marked a significant date on God's eschatological calendar. The Spirit's filling was necessary for global witness, Acts chapter 1, uh, verse number 8. So Joel, in Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32, there was the prophecy that the Spirit of God would be poured out in the last days, and the very next thing on God's calendar was the judgment of the nations, the enemies of Israel overthrown, and the establishment of, of the kingdom. And this also harkens back to Ezekiel chapter 37, uh, verses 9 and 10. So when we get to Acts chapter 2, what do we see when Peter explains to the people what's going on? He goes back to Joel chapter 2. And he basically is saying to the people, the end has arrived. It's, it's here. Uh, the, the house of Israel had crucified the Messiah. He's now seated at the right hand of God, chapter 2, verse 33. There was nowhere to run. The Messiah was about to make his enemies a footstool. Acts chapter 2, verse 35, which harkens back to Psalms 110, verse 1. The Spirit came upon the people of God. Judgment was to follow. That was what was to come next. And so no wonder the people are scared because they know what the Old Testament prophets said. And so what is our response? And Peter says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. So the notion of the sending of the Spirit was critical to not only empowering the disciples, empowering the church to take the gospel to the nations, and 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 bringing to recollection all that Christ had had taught them, and many other things as well, but it also marked the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy, which basically said the next thing that happens after the Spirit is poured out is Judgment Day. All right, number three. God's mission in the book of Acts, blessing the nations by beginning with the Jews. Blessing the nations by beginning with the Jews. So what do we see? Peter preaches this message in Jerusalem. Day of Pentecost, 3,000 baptisms occur. Uh, just uh, a chapter later, in Acts chapter 3, 5,000 people believed the apostles' words following the healing of the lame man at the beautiful gate. Uh, what do we see? Acts chapter 3. Messiah now remains in heaven 
According to chapter 3, verse 21, until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Within this passage, Luke connects Jesus with the patriarchs, noting the blessing to Abraham comes first to the Jews, but then extends to the Gentiles. The Jews were the children of the prophets, according to Acts chapter 3, verse 25. And God had sent the Messiah to them for their salvation, according to verse 26. Paul's testimony later in the book, over in Acts chapter 26, he would talk about how the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. So you see this notion, and this develops more in Pauline theology as we get into the Pauline literature of the message of the gospel to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. Um, what else do we see? Blessing of the nations, uh, number, number four, by providing a light to the Gentiles, by providing a light, uh, I guess I should say pr providing a light for the Gentiles. So when we hit, say, chapter 13, of the, uh, the book of Acts. It marks a major turning point in this book. Paul becomes the main character in the narrative, while Peter's representation diminishes. Luke is emphatic that the Gentile mission in Acts was legitimate and not the result of some rogue band of disciples simply wanting to upset the status quo. Paul is told when we read about Paul's uh, conversion experience and his testimonies uh, that's recorded um, three times in the book of Acts, Paul is told that he would be sent to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, and that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith. Acts chapter 26 verse 18 Paul, in Acts chapter 22, he notes that the Lord appeared to him in Jerusalem, stating that he would be sent far away to the Gentiles. When we look at, for example, one of Paul's missionary journeys, his first missionary journey that he's on with, um, with Barnabas, uh, they end up in a city called uh, Pisidia Antioch, not to be confused with uh, Antioch that sent them out. But when we look at this account in Acts chapter 13, around verse 47, we see something fascinating, and that is Paul goes back to Isaiah, and he explains his present reality, showing that he understands himself to be in line with the prophecy of Isaiah. So we see that Luke notes that the gospel was to be spoken to the Jews first, but since they refused to receive it and considered themselves unworthy of eternal life— chapter 13, verse 46, Paul and his team turned their attention toward the Gentiles. Now, in Acts chapter 11, with the uh, planting of the church in Antioch by the unnamed men that were fleeing the persecution that Saul, before his conversion, uh, poured out in Jerusalem, uh, that, that work among the Hellenists in Antioch had foreshadowed much gospel proclamation that would take place later in the book of Acts, deep in the Gentile world. But whenever we look at Paul, for example, in that passage in Pisidia, Antioch, he and Barnabas are together. Uh, what do we see, especially as he's, as he's looking at and uh, thinking about the uh, servant passage in Isaiah? Paul notes that in Isaiah 49, verse 6, 
the servant was to be a light to the Gentiles. Paul understood this as a personal command, this is important, for his team, not just himself, his team to follow. In fact, Acts 13 verse 47, the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, he's quoting Isaiah 49, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Again, this is the passage that we talk about as being the suffering servant passages that we see in Isaiah. Yes, related to the Messiah, but what is Paul doing with it here? He is making application to himself and his team as a result of why they're going to the Gentiles with this light. So the hermeneutic, the interpretation that's taken place here, the hermeneutic expressed here is a noteworthy manner, or excuse me, matter. It would have been easy for Luke to basically apply this servant passage just to Paul by himself uh, in view of the revelation that Paul had been given on the Damascus Road with his conversion. However, what Luke does here is fascinating. He connects the servant passage of Isaiah as a command to both Paul and Barnabas. So what was inaugurated by Christ is appropriated I think, by the church or the people of God. Here is an important intersection in this book of Christology or the doctrine of Christ and mission. Luke's use and application of the servant passage to disciples reveals a continuity between God's relationship to his people in the Old Testament and what we would refer to as his people in the New Testament. In other words, the church is is doing something to continue to bring about that light, if you will, to the nations. And the apostle, excuse me, and the prophet Isaiah had made reference to this centuries prior. Fascinating thing. I, I wish we could go deeper into this issue because I, I think that's one of the one of the more fascinating passages. Uh, that we see in the book of Acts of the, uh, the author uh, diving deep into the Old Testament and connecting it to what was going on in the first century with God's mission. So the first missionary journey concludes with the team returning to Antioch to share all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, chapter 14, verse 27. All right, so the last thing, last thing that I want us to think about when it comes to uh, God's glory through the blessing of the nations in the book of Acts is related to the blessing of the nations through a new multi-ethnic kingdom community, a multi-ethnic kingdom community. So think about this for a second. Uh, The Samaritans received the Holy Spirit. Okay, they're not full-blooded Jews, but you know, there's some of that biological connection there. Uh, you know, we can kind of we can kind of give them that, right? All right. Um, what about the Gentiles or the God? Excuse me, the God fearers. So the God fearers like Cornelius. Um, well, you know, he's a God fearer. So he's 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 trying, man. I mean, he hasn't he hasn't been circumcised. Uh, maybe not all the food laws, but but yeah, the high view of of, of our um, prophets and Torah. So so okay, we can get that. But then when word comes back that the Gentiles, the full-blooded, culturally distant, ethnically different peoples, 
known as the Gentiles, are receiving the same amount of the Holy Spirit as we Jews, that is shocking, and that is, is scandalous. So what do, we, what do we see? The Gentiles were of such a moral and cultural distance from the Jewish disciples that a radical shift had to occur in the minds and hearts of both the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem. Peter had to experience a heavenly vision followed by an observance of the Holy Spirit's baptism of the household of Cornelius. Uh, Though matters related to the Gentiles appeared to be settled following the Cornelius narrative in Acts chapter 11, uh, such was not the case. So there's this contentious debate that shows up at the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15. And in Jerusalem, you've got this, this, this debate. I mean, there's no way the Gentiles can be saved and forgiven of their sins unless they're circumcised. They cannot be a part of the multi-ethnic kingdom community and not go through this process. And so in Jerusalem, what do you see in Acts chapter 15? Peter addresses the council, gives full support to the Gentile mission. Not only does he share his experiences with the Gentiles, but he acknowledges that God has cleansed their hearts by faith and makes no distinction between them and the Jews. Paul and Barnabas, they share their experience from their first journey that I just commented on just a moment ago. But James has the final say in the matter, and he notes the prophets foretold the ingathering of the Gentiles, this great eschatological ingathering that I've mentioned so many times throughout season 8. And James draws from Amos chapter 9. In Amos chapter 9, verses 11 and 12, he notes that God promised to rebuild the tent of David, and even the Gentiles should be part of the kingdom. Since the Davidic Messiah had come, was now seated at the right hand of God, the dynasty uh, had been restored. It was no surprise the Gentiles should be under his reign. The prophesied time had come. The language used in this text people for his name, Acts chapter 15, verse 14, and remnant was applied historically to Israel, but James's words through Luke's writing revealed a profound theological depth related to who is now considered the people of God. So when you get to the book of Acts, the gospel is for both Jew and Gentile. The good news of the Messiah's present reign and coming judgment and kingdom is a message to be communicated without discrimination. Overcoming internal and external challenges, the Spirit-filled church observes the multiplication of disciples, leaders, and churches throughout the world. The blessing of Abraham advances rapidly resulting in a multi-ethnic community of kingdom citizens glorifying God through relationship as they await the full restoration of the kingdom. Wow, I wish, again, I wish we had more time that we could spend unpacking the book of Acts. Those 28 chapters are just filled with so many things related to uh, the mission of God. But I'm going to have to call it a day. It's been about 30 minutes, uh, and I know... um, Uh, It is time to wrap it up. So I, again, want to thank you for listening to uh, this episode of Strike the Match. Lord willing, uh, next time we will be discussing the mission of God in the Pauline epistles. I hope you check it out. Take care. You have been listening to Strike the Match with J.D. Payne. You can find J.D. on Instagram, Facebook, or follow him on Twitter at J.D. underscore Payne. 
And if you'd like to check out more books, posts, and podcast episodes, visit jvpain.org. You can also subscribe to this podcast on your favorite Android app or at iTunes. And we'd be honored if you would consider rating us or leaving comments. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope you'll join us next time.